Hello again, I'm Jack Lessonberry, and welcome or welcome back to Politics and Prejudices, the podcast. For many years, I wrote a nationally award-winning column called Politics and Prejudices and did many essays on both public and commercial radio, sort of a poor man's Eric Severide, in other words, if you remember him. And this is meant to be a blend of both, and I hope you enjoy today's installment and keep listening. You can also catch up with both my writing and my essays and podcasts you might have missed on my website and blog, LessonberryInc.com. That's ink as an ink pen. Over the years, I've covered a lot of fascinating people and want to use these podcasts to bring some of them and their stories to you and plus occasionally give you my own sometimes pointed views. And I plan to end most of these podcasts with my signature essays, so please listen. Hope you enjoy, and again, please follow me on my blog. Now for today's topic. There was clearly a crisis in mental health care in Michigan. Once, the state had a network of mental hospitals with thousands of beds for patients who couldn't function in normal society. True, standards of care varied, and some people were probably confined who didn't need to be. But there were facilities. Today, there are very few beds for mental patients who need to be hospitalized. One single young mother I know had to wait for months to have her eight-year-old son hospitalized, even though he'd repeatedly tried to kill her. Last week, there were statewide headlines about a 19-year-old autistic, severely mentally ill man who apparently kicked an elderly man to death in an adult foster care facility. Clearly, he needs help and society's not safe, but authorities couldn't find or agree on where to put him. They put him back into the group home. Additionally, an increasing percentage of state prisoners are mentally ill, many severely so, and for them and society, prison is the worst, most expensive alternative. So how do we fix Michigan's broken mental health system? Joining me today are three of the state's top experts in mental illness, in the studio with me is Kevin Fisher, the Executive Director in Michigan of NAMI, N-A-M-I, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, the nation's largest grassroots mental health organization. Joining us by phone is Judge Milton Mack, who's now a Michigan State Court Administrator, who for many years was Wayne County's Chief Probate Judge, who's made a special study of mental illness and incarceration, and Bob Sheehan, Chief Executive Officer of the Community Mental Health Association of Michigan, an umbrella group that includes more than 150 organizations, including Michigan's community uh, public mental health centers. Gentlemen, it's an honor to have you all here today. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Jack. So I wonder if you could start out, uh, um, throw the ball, the ball to uh, uh, Judge Judge Mack. Um, I thought of you, of course, when I heard about this you know, very sad case of this 19-year-old severely autistic man who, who killed someone, and it turns out that your wife is your wife is a judge, and she had that case. Correct. Uh, she she told me how the uh, the young man appeared in court and uh, following the charges, and as she was advising him of the charges against him, he just smiled uh, because he really is incapable of really understanding uh, the charges against him. And uh, before she dismissed the case, because he was incompetent to stand trial, she asked if he was in treatment. She was assured, assured that he was, and in fact, he wasn't. Mm. And he's back in a group home where she's concerned that the same result will happen again. No pun intended, but gentlemen, that sounds crazy to me. Uh, uh, um, Kevin Fisher, how can that be? Well, as you mentioned, unfortunately... Uh, it sounds like something fell through the cracks. It sounds like uh, Judge Laura Mack was led to believe that this gentleman was receiving treatment. He was not. And uh, and unfortunately, we, we run into these kind of situations. 
Uh, Bob Sheehan, if I remember correctly, when we started the whole deinstitutionalization process, can't talk today, we got rid of our mental health institutions. The idea was that community mental health centers would be funded so they could pick up the slack. What happened? Well, it's a complicated question. So the CMA systems um, are, I mean, they take up more than slackjack. We we did a survey just recently and found that if the current state budget was used to do state institutions, it would serve 8,500 people. We serve over 350,000 people, so far better um, spread. The problem actually lies in um, what Judge Laura Mack was, was told falsely, that this guy's in, tre- in treatment. If he wasn't in treatment, she, there's no way she would have um, let him go back to the community. So that's the problem. It's really one of communication, and it's always a balance, and Judge Milton Mack and I talk about this all the time, between civil liberties, letting people make right. decisions, and public safety. And this is one in which several liberties, um, to be blunt, got in the way of good public safety and good treatment. Well, and, and this question's for this this question's for anyone. Do we have enough beds in Michigan today? Altogether, no, no, <laughs> a unanimous no. No, and I and I let me let me just add what just follow up what Kevin had to say about you know that this gentleman fell through the crack in the system, a crack in I. I say that he fell through one of the canyons in the system. And we, we used to have a public mental health system where uh, anybody, regardless of level of income, could access mental health treatment. Today we have a Medicaid mental health system because the legislature has applied all the fund, most of the funds for mental health treatment to the Medicaid population. So unless you are impoverished, you can't access the system. So I think that uh, Bob Sheehan reminds me of George Washington at Valley Forge. He's being called upon to uh, deliver our independence, but his troops have no shoes. And it's a long, cold and winter ahead. It's a long, cold winter. The fact is we know what to do. It's just that we lack the resources to do what needs to be done. And, and Michigan's not unique. This, this is the problem that exists across the country. Well, I would guess that I would guess that you gentlemen are probably making are trying to make some noise before the legislature and other policymakers who can do something about this. Why isn't anybody doing anything about it? Well, go. I'll take first shot. This is Kevin Fisher. First of all, politics are getting in the way. Right. Um, we're all familiar with the uh, Section Two Ninety Eight initiative, uh, which was uh, which was introduced by former Governor Schneider in 2016 uh, budget language where he proposed to completely, lack of a better term, privatize the public behavioral health system. Right. Um, there are politics in the way, as Judge Mack indicated, Medicaid funding and the way the legislature is making available the public system is in the way. Um, there are a number of things that are in the way, and I like the way Judge Mack just said it. We know what to do. We know what the right thing is to do. We're just not doing it. And as an advocate, one of the largest barriers I tend to come back to is the stigma associated with mental illness. It gets in the way. It doesn't allow the needs that people who live with mental illnesses have to get the attention that it desperately requires. And unfortunately, if you don't have legislators or administrators or people in position of power who have been directly affected, it 
just isn't that important to them. Well, Bob Sheehan, you've been doing this for a year or two, and as Kevin indicated, almost all of us either have some case of mental illness in our family or we know someone who is mentally ill. Um, Why is that stigma still there, and is it as strong as ever? Um, It's not as strong as ever, but it's certainly powerful. Um, Even though people have it in their families, they don't talk about it. I mean, literally, people will talk about cancer in their families or even men will talk about prostate health more readily. Mm. They'll talk about a mental health issue. I mean, it's, it's really true. And I think not only won't they talk about it, but it's on the political hierarchy, the clients we serve and people that come before Judge Milton Mack and Laura Mack um, are pretty low on the political totem pole, right? So most of society says, well, I hope it goes well for them, but I, I don't want to spend money on them. not recognizing those are citizens in our, in our community. And with a little bit of help, those folks' lives can really be turned around, especially with court involvement. But I think it's too easy to walk away from it and say, well, I hope the courts figure it out. I hope the CMH figures it out, even though I haven't supported funding for the CMH system. Speaking of figuring it out, Judge Milton Mack, you've, you've done uh, studied this for a long time, and I believe that you uh, wrote a, a very significant report indicating that we could save, the state of Michigan could save a lot of money if we prescribe mandatory outpatient treatment instead of locking people up. Actually, there's uh, good evidence that indicates that if you treat mental illness earlier, you're going to save money in the long run. The trouble is we're such a siloed state that um, you know, we're going to save money for local government, maybe not state government. And so people think of their own silo and not what's good for the people as a whole. And, and one of the other problems is that uh, our policymakers don't necessarily realize that mental health is, mental illness is treatable and recovery is possible, and people with mental illness can lead productive lives. And the public needs to know that. And I think we have to continue to educate the public on that. I look at the Wayne County Jail. In 2017, 20,000 people spent time in the Wayne County Jail, some more than once. Of those 20,000 people, 10,000 had a case history with community mental health. And it's, it's not easy to get a history, get a history with community mental health. So that's a, a stunning percentage. And we just, we just need, to, we need to do a better job of what we have. But the legislature needs to provide funding in the general fund for taking care of people who are not Medicaid eligible. Because if you don't take care of them before they're Medicaid eligible, you will be taking care of them when they become Medicaid eligible. Our standard of taking care of them. uh, Yeah, go ahead, Bob. I just want to add to that point. Um, Judge Mack is right on the money. Um, Michigan, you know, um, has a constitutional and statutory um, safety net outlined, which is the CMH system, which is really nation-leading. However, as Milton Mack said, um, over the last 30 years, they moved into a Medicaid financing. You do that because the feds pay part of the bill. The problem is, if you're not on Medicaid, and most Michigan residents aren't, 8 million of them are not, then you have no safety net. I mean, there's literally $100 million in the state budget for non-Medicaid mental health services. We're talking about nothing. Right. Of the $2.5 billion there is for Medicaid. Yeah, I heard a judge recently describe the criminal justice system as a wide net that captures many people, but that we engage in catch and release. Right, and, and or we engage in catching and locking them up. And uh, right. I was going to say these people... Since there are not facilities, a lot of them, Judge Mack, do you have any idea what percentage of Michigan inmates, state prisoners, there's 38,000 of them, 
what percentage of those folks are actually mentally ill or they should, would benefit more by being in some kind of a mental health treatment center? Uh, the last number I heard was 25% suffer from a serious mental illness. 25%, so we're, we're talking about, uh, if I do the math, almost 10,000 people. Right, and those are the state prisons. The jails, the percentage is higher. Wow. As, as you can see in the Wayne County Jail, uh, at least 50% have been diagnosed with a serious mental illness at the time of incarceration. Kevin Fisher, is prison a healthy environment for mentally ill people? Absolutely not. No one believes that you're receiving effective mental health treatment in jails or prisons. And the fact is, that's the highest cost place to house them to begin with. And I use the term housing um, specifically because that's more or less what we're doing. We're housing them. When we say treatment, um, they're receiving some medication so they can be compliant, but that's not treatment. Uh, no, and uh, it, it certainly is not. And, and Judge Mack, aren't those about the most expensive prisoners? We use the figure thir an average of $35,000 a year for a state inmate, but don't our severely mentally ill prisoners cost the state more than that? Well, sure. In fact, um the state has reported that some prisoners cost as much as $100,000 a year. Mm. Bob Shannon, uh, go, go ahead, I'm sorry. I'm just saying, that, and that money is general fund money. We, we spend our general fund money on uh, mental health treatment for people in prison, which is the worst place to spend it. So if, uh, I'm, if, I'm, not, uh, if I'm not in prison, the state won't help me, but if I am in prison, right. I'll get right. a lot of care. It's, uh, right. That's, that's sort of daunting. Um. Bob Shane, I think there is, not, besides stigma, there's also a whole lot of ignorance about mental health and about how one gets treatment for it. I'm sort of curious, um, how do Michigan's public community mental health centers work, and what ought someone to do if they have a problem or think they have a problem or a problem in their family? And, you know, there's not a whole lot of, uh, we don't, we're not commonly taught how to deal with these things. Sure. So I, what I recommend, Jack, is the first people know, if they have insurance, they should... Um, turn over their insurance card, and on the back of it is the behavioral health care number. They should call that number first. Right. I, I tell people that because they often fall back to the CMH system thinking, as they should think, unfortunately, but they can't think that it's there for them, but it's not. I mean, it's, it's not been funded that way. They should start with their insurance first. Those who don't have insurance then should call their local CMH. Um, CMH does serve people without Medicaid. The problem is you have to be very severe to get into the CMH. You don't have Medicaid because the again the financing isn't there. Um, most citizens don't know that to the day they need that care. But I recommend people start with their commercial insurance. That's why they they are their employer buying that insurance. They should use that. Failing that, then they should uh, fall back to the CMH system. But it's not the same safety net. Judge Mack is right that it was 20 years ago. It's virtually a 2.5 billion, which is a lot of money, Medicaid finance system. And as as I said, 80 you know. 90% um, of Michigan residents don't have Medicaid, so that for 90% of Michigan folks, what's available is $15 per person per year if you're not on Medicaid for mental health care. $15, $15 per we'll person a year. That's yes, so, so we'll buy you lunch, I think. If, a if couple, co couple cups of coffee for your therapist, maybe, but that's about, that's about it. Kevin? That's right, Jack, and I think most taxpayers don't, don't know that. Well, you know, interestingly... As I travel across the state, I find that many citizens aren't even aware of the community mental health system and its existence. Uh, I live in Wayne County, for example. Uh, the uh, Detroit Wayne 
they just changed their name, Integrated Health Network, right. um, is the largest public behavioral health entity in the state, uh, after, of course, the department, um, the fourth largest in the country, with a budget of near $800 million. But most citizens, if they're not already a part of the system, don't even know they exist, don't know what resources are available to them. Uh, and I want to go back for well, just... Well, I don't, and I'm fairly highly educated. <laughs> I mean, I know what to do if I fall, if I clumsily fall down the steps of the studio and break my leg, I know what to do, yeah. but I don't know what to do about these things. Exactly. Well, and I want to go back to a point that Bob was making about if you have commercial insurance, you know, dial the number on the back of your car. Right. Well, there's also this issue about uh, mental health parity. And the fact that insurance companies are, are required by federal law to provide the same level of coverage for behavioral health needs as they do for other physical health needs. The problem with that law is that the federal government left it to the states to enforce it, and it's not being enforced here in Michigan. Right. Mm. Um, Judge Mack, you are certainly highly respected both nationally and in the state. You're the, currently the, you're the state court administrator. Are you managing to make any headway with the governor, with with uh, our, our, ver our various courts at uh, treating this problem in a more rational way? Actually, we are making some progress. The, uh, for example, uh, several counties are developing what are called sequential intercept maps to help people uh, along the process so we can try to divert people out of jail uh, right at the beginning, all the way up to trying to get people when they're discharged from uh, prison to be directed right into treatment. So, for example, Wayne County has organized a group looking to model Wayne County after what's going on in Miami-Dade, where they've been successful in diverting thousands of people from jail, resulting in the closure of a jail. And by virtue of training police officers on how to handle mental health crises, have sharply reduced the number of shootings and sharply reduce the number of police injuries, resulting in a reduction in their workers' comp premium and an increase in their bond rating. So there are strategies. Uh, the Treatment Advocacy Center just released a document on assisted outpatient treatment, which mirrors the sequential intercept model and would allow counties to organize better to provide this care. But it's got to be a partnership between community mental health, the prosecutor, the courts, and the defense attorneys. They have got to get together to work through this. But uh, to maximize the effectiveness, the legislature has to fund assisted outpatient treatment programs across the state where needed. It's the least expensive service, far cheaper than jail or prison. You wrote a fairly fascinating paper a couple of years ago on this. Is that findable online? Could you give us the title and how someone could find it? Uh, it is online, and um, I can't give you the site offhand, but I can send it to you. Oh, great, and we can maybe post. Boy, I can certainly post that on my website. Um, <clears throat> uh, I'm not to be naive, but I want Kevin Fisher. Could you tell us what the National Alliance on Mental Illness does, and how you work with people? And so, the National Alliance on Mental Illness is the nation's largest grassroots mental health organization that's purely dedicated to building better lives for the millions of Americans affected by mental illness. So, not just people who are living with a mental health diagnosis, but for their families and caregivers to help them, uh, first of all, navigate the behavioral health system, public system if necessary, um, to provide education and support 
uh, to those family members. You know, a lot of what we see uh, that turns out to be uh, contact with law enforcement, homelessness, um, those kinds of things result from family members not really understanding, well, you know, what does, if my child is diagnosed with bipolar or schizophrenia, what does that really mean? And how can I help them? How can I better understand them? And then equally as important, how can I take care of myself? Because being a caregiver can be physically and emotionally exhausting. Right. So we, and, and those education support programs are provided at no cost to anyone who's in need of that. Uh, and then we are also a very powerful advocacy organization. Uh, and we advocate for access to care and funding and all of those things that are important on the state and federal level as well. So we are in Michigan, we have 17 local affiliates nationwide. We have just under 600 local affiliates. And it, it is a 99% volunteer run organization by people who have some lived experience in mental health. So if you contact NAMI, you're going to contact somebody who knows what you're going through, have a really good idea of what your needs are, and can connect you to the right resources. And you have a website, of course? We do. Here in Michigan, it is namimi.org, so NAMI, Michigan abbreviated, .org. Uh, and, of course, you can call our office at 517-485-4049. Uh, same question for you, Bob Sheehan. I mean, I know you're an umbrella organization, Community Mental Health Association of Michigan, but what do you do and how is it different and how does it interface with what uh, Kevin Fisher and NAMI does? Sure. We're a longtime partner of Kevin's um, organization. Um, ours is the CMH Association of Michigan. We represent all the public and private uh, mental health providers across the state. So it's the public system, the safety net that we describe in their network. Um, we interface with them a lot. Um, people can call us as they have a crisis or long-term care. Again, we serve about a third of a million people, including their families, over a million Michiganders rely on our services. We work a lot with Judge Mack and with Kevin on all kinds of things that involve advocacy and changing not only the mindset, but the political support and financial support for our system. Does anybody have a figure on what percentage of the population is um, mentally ill or mentally ill to a degree where they require treatment? You know, the, the national number is about 20 to 25 percent of the U.S. population will experience a mental health crisis in a given year. Wow. So it's a big number. 50% of the population at some point in their lifetime will experience a mental health issue that could be di that rises to the level of being diagnosable. You're talking about 160 million people. Exactly. Or 80 million a year. Exactly. That that is uh, that's absolutely amazing. I mean, it, it this is a I don't know of any other illness that affects as many people. This depression is the leading cause of disability across the world. Right. You know, mental illness, as, as you are alluding to, Jack, is a very serious problem. I'd even call it an epidemic that we're simply not addressing. And going back to what Judge Max said at the onset, we know what to do. We just need to do it. Judge Mack, I'm just curious, without naming names, is this person who falsely told uh, your wife, the other Judge Mack, that this man was getting treatment, are they in some kind of trouble? Uh, that I don't know. It would seem to me you should be in some kind of trouble if <laughs> in, in a case like this. But moving on right. beyond this, what's going to happen to this 19-year-old again? I think he, if, correct me if I'm wrong, he's both autistic and schizophrenic. What's going to happen to that young man? 
Well, that's a good question. Uh, in fact, um, I know that the uh, the state, uh, we've reported that, and the state is looking at it, and uh, they'll be checking with the Wayne County uh, CMH, and uh, hopefully some action will be taken. But you know, the resources, as, as we've discussed, are extremely limited. But And, of course, well, he, he's had a lot of publicity, but I suspect there's a lot of other people who are in just as, you know, in severe a state that... Uh, Nobody knows about. Uh, you know, one of the ironies is that the uh, we, we have these problem-solving courts scattered around the country, around the state, rather. In fact, Michigan is a leader in problem-solving courts, and uh, our mental health courts are a source of diversion for people who are charged with a crime. Uh, but the legislature says we cannot let people with a violent offense into the mental health court, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, who do I want better, faster? seems to me someone with a mental illness who's done something violent, I'd like them to be in recovery sooner than later. Is this, the old, thing, is this the old thing about being tough on crime, where we have to be tough on it crime? It is. It's, like it's leftover. It's a leftover. Like, it's like the diversion, going to diversion is a reward. Well, it, it, it is good for the individual, but it's good for us. It's good for us because it reduces recidivism. It reduces risk to the public. It improves outcomes. It saves money. Uh, you know, the, the legislature should let the prosecutor and the judge decide whether someone goes into diversion, mm. regardless of the nature of the offense. Um, I, I don't know if you gentlemen saw the Detroit News did quite a series last week where they sent the reporter to Norway to look at how they handled uh, mental health and prison issues. Um, is that a, is that a model that we should be adopting in Michigan? Anyone? I think Bob go first. Right. You know, some of the components of that system are already here. I mean, it's what Kevin and Judge Mack said. We know how right. to do this stuff. Um, right. We know how to do problem-solving courts. We know how to do diversion. We know how to do in-jail and in-prison-based treatment. We just have to do it. But without financing it, and people always say, why does it come down to financing? And I say it back to them. Why does it always come down to financing? Let's let's finance it appropriately. And it's not a not a big ticket item, but as Judge Max said, it does mean though going into some systems that are spending the money currently and moving into those systems we should be spending it. And that's that's a political issue. Nobody wants to. And, and there sh- right, and there you know shortage of of uh, shortage of um, resources. The Upper Peninsula has one psychiatrist. One psychiatrist for the Upper Peninsula. Right. This is a geographical area bigger than Massachusetts and New Jersey combined. And there's right. one psychiatrist. But, uh, this is uh, sort of mind-blowing, I would say. Well, I, I just want to add that it comes down to educating our legislators as well. Uh, when we talk about whether it's be tough on crime or really understanding what the community mental health system does and does not provide for, um, quite frankly, and I mean this respectfully, many of our legislators have let us know that they're really ignorant to mental right. illness and the mental health system. And so there are some who may believe that diverting to mental health court is somehow letting people off the hook. And right. that's not the purpose of this. As Judge Mack has said over and over again, it's so at the end of the day, the entire society benefits. That person gets better. They're less a danger to society. Uh, you end up with a possibly a tax-paying member of society. Right. Um, there is a wealth of payoff 
if we invest in a solid behavioral health system. And of course, term limits mean that no one's there long enough to develop the kind of expertise they used to be able to exactly. develop. That, that's a huge problem, a huge problem. We've, we've had uh, Representative Leonard was a very strong advocate, but now he's gone. Lieutenant Governor was very strong. He's gone. Uh, we have Representative Bob Pell, who's very strong, but uh, and I don't know how much time he's got left, two years perhaps, and then what? And we have to find, exactly. find someone else. Yeah, finally, um, this has been so enlightening. I'd like to include by asking everybody what a you know what w- would ought people to do, and what change would you most like to see in the system? We'll, we'll start with you, Kevin. For me, first of all, I'd like Michigan citizens to become more aware and more educated about mental illness and about uh, uh, the. Um, what's available in terms of treatment for mental health. I'd like to see us eliminate that stigma because, again, it tends to be the leading barrier that prevents people from even seeking help for themselves or their loved ones. Then I'd like for us to find a way, and as we just talked about, term limits and other things get in the way, but we have to find a way to educate our legislators so they have a good grasp of what the problem is, what the... Uh, resources are available or solutions are so we can act upon it in an informed way and not in a partisan way. Um, Bob Sheehan? I would echo what what Kevin said and I I think it's just I mean I think most people it's when you meet privately with policymakers and House and Senate members it's amazing how much they are aligned with us but they aren't willing to take that stand some of them so we're just asking them to come forward and say you know let's determine what's needed to put money into the system to to better educate our kids, keep our, our kids in school, hold families together, keep people out of jail, keep them out of homeless shelters, help them be, become more productive members of society. Everybody wants those things. And actually, the mental health investment dollar you need is probably the smallest amount that you can put in to leverage such great change. Far better than, I mean, good housing is important, but that's expensive. Mental health care is relatively cheap. And I think with that small investment, the states have done that, it, it leapfrogs the quality of life for people very, very quickly. You know, Judge Milton, Mac, come back to what we were talking about earlier. Uh, based on your research, if we um, changed the way we dealt with mental illness in prison, if we did early intervention, prescribed, you know, mandatory medication instead of incarceration, the state would save tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars every year, would it not? Absolutely. Then why is, and, that, uh, why is that so hard to sell? I think it's because who's saving and who's spending. Uh, the legislature have to spend and save local government hundreds of millions of dollars because they're the ones who house people in the jails. Right. So it may be the siloing problem we have. But, you know, the, the truth is that the we have successfully removed the barriers, the, the legal barriers to assisted outpatient treatment so that the legal barriers to treatment have been taken down. But the system is not funded to provide the care we need. The, the legislature needs to fund uh, our mental health system so that it becomes, once again, a public mental health system. If we intervene early, then people won't need to be hospitalized, and they won't end up incarcerated. They won't end up homeless and, and living in a ditch or under a freeway overpass. It, it's going to take money, and the legislature needs to pony up. 
Well, there's an old saying, there's no such thing as a free lunch, and it's also true that if you uh, address a problem earlier, it costs less than uh, it does if you wait. It, anything from mental health to potholes to cavities in your teeth. But I think that anyone who's listening to us today has a much better grasp of the problem, and I really want to thank Bob Sheehan of CMHA and Kevin Fisher and of NAMI and uh, Judge Milton Mack, the state court administrator, for uh, making this time available today. I think there's a not, I can't think of another subject we need to talk more about. So, gentlemen, thank you all very much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Well, that's about it for now, except for our signature essay coming up. By the way, I want to thank everyone who donated to help fund the production costs of this podcast, including Annabelle Cohen, the famous Detroit chef and caterer, and Dan Meadow. If you too would like to help keep these podcasts going, I'd be thrilled. You send a contribution to me via Zing Media Group, 186 North Main Street in Plymouth, 4817 or message me on Facebook or via my blog for more details. Please check out my blog, LessonburyInc.com. Again, that's ink is an ink pen. Click the button and subscribe to these podcasts. The price is right, absolutely free. And please tune in again and come back to my next Politics and Prejudice podcast. See you soon. We're facing nothing less than an epidemic of mental illness in Michigan, and it may be the most neglected and least talked about major issue in this state. Epidemic, by the way, is not my word, but Kevin Fisher's. He's the executive director of NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness in Michigan. They and other experts estimate there are hundreds of thousands of people who are mentally ill in the state who are getting no treatment at all, 670,000, according to the Michigan Health Endowment Fund. Meanwhile, there are thousands of mentally ill people in Michigan prisons many of them people who would not have been in state mental institutions or would have been there, rather, 30 years ago. Prison is not an environment suited to helping mentally ill people get better, and severely mentally ill prisoners cost taxpayers far more to house than other inmates do. Many of these people might not have to be in prison if judges were allowed to sentence them to outpatient therapy and mandatory medication instead, or if we had community mental health centers with the resources available to allow them to treat people properly. That's what was supposed to happen, by the way, when state governments began defunding and closing mental hospitals. Washington was supposed to give a network of community mental health centers enough money so they could take up the slack and deal adequately with their growing mental health issues. But that never happened. They never got the money. We're also living in a nation where, while same-sex marriage and racial intermarriage are legal and increasingly accepted, there's still a considerable stigma against mental illness. There also, as the online magazine Bridge noted last summer, vast rural areas of our state that are either underserved when it comes to having both treatment facilities and mental health professionals like psychiatrists and psychologists. Some areas are simply not served at all. This is, frankly, a disgrace on moral grounds, and worse than that, from a cost-benefit policy analysis. Edmund Burke said long ago that all that's needed for evil to triumph is for a good man to do nothing. We become far too good at doing nothing. I know far too many families who've endured the eternal pain of loved ones who committed suicide. I know others who have a family member in prison, not because they're ruthless criminals, but because they're mentally ill, and still more have spent countless fruitless hours trying to get help. And no, I don't know how much it would cost to give every mentally ill person the therapy and treatment they need, but I would bet everything I own that the total cost to society will be less than the cost of continuing to avoid doing what we should. This is Jack Lessonberry. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll come back to my podcast again soon.